imagine if we could start to think about all materials as renewables and really use that for manufacturing. Hello, I'm Sue Nelson and thanks for joining me on Create the Future, a podcast brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. My guest today has been called the alchemist of waste for her work creating new building materials from old waste ones. Based in Australia at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Professor Veena Sahajwala is the founding director of SMART, the Centre for Sustainable Materials Research and Technology. The team strips waste down to its basic constituents and then reforms them into, for example, floor or ceiling tiles. Smart launched the first electronic waste microfactory, but is perhaps best known for its green steel, where millions of old rubber tyres are melted down and replace some of the coke during steel production. This has saved millions of discarded rubber tyres from landfill. So I began by asking Vina how wasteful we are as a society. As a society, I think we are really, really wasteful. In a way, all been living life at large, so to speak. We've just become so used to consuming and throwing things away without even thinking about the impact of our actions on the planet. And I think to me, that's not okay. It's not okay that as a society, we've just become used to this mindset that, you know, we can just throw things away. And I think we need to do something that's going to shift mindsets, that's going to shift habits. But yeah, we, all of us across the world, we just need to be a lot more considerate to the fact that we live on a planet where we have finite resources. Most people tend to think of waste as plastics in particular. What would you say is the resource that perhaps the planet wastes most of all? You know, I think plastics is definitely up there at the top of the list. I think the other one that I would also put that often we don't think about, even though the numbers are quite staggering, is electronic waste. So e-waste is something that we all contribute to. And in that regard, just look at how we're communicating now. And I think the world, of course, now has again become very used to using electronic devices. But we don't then stop and think about how often we discard our electronic devices, you know, without really thinking about that throwing away of resources Uh, that's embedded in our electronic devices. And the fact that we just don't think for a moment that we've got all kinds of expensive metals and, and critical materials in our electronics. So I would probably put both plastic waste and also electronic waste at the top of the list. I can understand that because we're so used to today getting a new phone and it feels as though where does it go you just throw it away (laughs) exactly exactly and indeed you know that whole notion that well we hope we're doing the right thing with it uh, when it's disposed of but quite often we are actually not aware of you know this all-important question of you know should we even be thinking about it as a disposable item clearly we cannot 
And I think to me, that's the ultimate irony in, in electronics, that it's such an important part of our lives. And yet, of course, you know, when, when products break down or they become obsolete, we don't really have, you know, systems in place that allow us to look at ways in which we can harness those materials, those important metals and critical materials. And, and of course, plastics and glass and all the important materials that are embedded in our electronics. We don't really have systems in place and we don't really have technologies that enable us, no matter where we live in the world, you know, that enable us to actually harness those important materials. But imagine a future if we could, in a way that made sense from an economic point of view, but more importantly, that made sense from an environmental point of view, so that we can actually, you know, moving forward, start to do the right thing. We need to harness those materials and we need to you know, bring them back to life over and over again in the form of new devices, new products. Well, that brings us on perfectly to green steel, so-called green steel. Where did you get the idea to repurpose tyres for steel production? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's uh, one of those things when you look at the consumption of, you know, resources like coal, and of course, everyone, you know, is absolutely aware about the impact of you know, use of coal and the impact on, on climate. But quite often, we don't actually stop to think that, you know, in addition to, of course, you know, the transformation that we're seeing in the energy space in bringing in more and more renewable energy into the mix, we actually have not given enough consideration to how our materials making of, of steel in this particular instance has been so dependent on coal-based resources. And the fact that we need to have a complete shift in the way we think about our ability to harness all kinds of resources so that we can manufacture our products like metallics, like steel. And if we can do that in a way where we can ultimately, you know, eliminate the need for coal, that would be the ultimate goal of, you know, how we actually produce these important metals and therefore thinking about manufacturing and the fact that manufacturing is also a resource-intensive industry, just like energy is, and manufacturing of materials relies upon a lot of traditional resources like coal. If we can do what we are achieving already in so many parts of the world, that transformation into renewable energy, and imagine if we could start to think about all materials as renewables, and if we could harness more and more of our waste and really use that for manufacturing, then we, we would have actually also well and truly started to shift the way we think about making of, of our metals. And this is really, for me, the journey of green steel has been, you know, the beginning of, of so many other, I guess, ways in which we can question the way we've always looked at, you know, manufacturing in so many instances. So green steel was really born out of the fact that in my case, I started questioning the norm and challenging the norm that, oh, steel's always made in a certain way. Oh, we have to have this coal that allows us to make the steel. And really challenging that norm meant that I had to have alternative solutions. And it's really very pleasing to see over the past many, many years that not only has the science that over the years we have proven in our labs shown that it can be done, 
but also equally importantly, the fact that from a commercial point of view, we've shown that, you know, industries across the world have been excited about green steel and have taken up this technology for manufacturing steel. So it's actually been, you know, an exciting journey. And and I think to me, we're still on that journey, of course, but really this is where the idea started that ultimately both important elements of carbon and hydrogen that we have harnessed out of waste tires inside steel making furnace has actually shown that we can indeed reduce our dependency on coal. And of course, ultimately for me, the, the goal is complete elimination of coal. I mean, this sounds like a quite an important mindset for, for an engineer is to think in terms of, well, okay, I don't have to start with the accepted ways of doing things. Like you say, think afresh. I mean, that sounds like really good advice for all sorts of projects. Yes, absolutely. And really kind of think afresh and and rethink and really sometimes challenging the norm is the only way we're going to see a, a massive shift in the way we do things. And, you know, the world needs that right now. And the fact that we can, in this particular case with green steel, have shown that we can not only recycle and reform millions of tires in the process of making steel, but the double benefit of reducing our dependency on coal that we have proven is an important outcome, but really thinking also about that clever science and and harnessing those elements and really showing that it is possible to reform tires inside steelmaking operations where you can indeed uh, produce these clean molecules of, of gases like hydrogen, Uh, Because, of course, tires are rich in hydrogen, but you want to do it in a way that is clean and sustainable. And really, to me, the exciting part of all of this has always been about the the fact that this incredible science not only worked in our labs, which in its own right was exciting, but, you know, the fact that when we started to, in fact, uh, do industrial trials and testing and, and ultimately proving and commercializing it, was really such a such a massive you know sense of satisfaction it's it's a global solution because globally we all need steel globally we're all producing waste tires so the fact that we can bring together you know what might be seen to be a problem and convert that into an opportunity for steel makers across the world is is an exciting development if that means that we're going to have to challenge the norm so be it When did you first become interested in waste? Was it something as a kid that you sort of (laughs) saw things around you and thought, why are they doing that? Oh, well, it's it's, uh, it's, uh, quite an exciting question because it does take back to uh, a lot of memories in my childhood. I was born in Mumbai and um, lived the early part of my life in Mumbai in India. And um, you know, what was always very exciting is that, uh, you know, when you grow up in a place like Mumbai, which, of course, as uh, people may know, that is, is really the industrial heartland of India, where lots and lots of factories are buzzing away, making things, but also at almost at micro level, so many entrepreneurs, you know, are out there repairing things, you know, whether it's repairing your, your old shoes, you know, or, or indeed your old broken down toaster or radio. And I think to me, that whole excitement about the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're, 
you're the the person on the street who's got a little corner store where repairs are happening or or whether it's a big factory um the fact that we are at that time growing up looking at all these products in in our hands that we're not throwing away that we are actually repairing it it's so exciting to think back at a time when out of that sheer necessity where people would become entrepreneurs where they would use their skills to to pick up on on a waste product that someone might have um you know discarded because it wasn't working but then to be able to go and fix it and and i think to me that's such a beautiful thing i remember growing up in mumbai and and i i think um it would be something i'd love to stand and watch as to how someone would actually fix things and repair things and and to me that was that all important i guess uh, you know memory that that was forever imprinted in my head that people are actually really creative and capable of taking all kinds of products and and using it in different ways so it just means that really there was no such thing as a waste that was an important part of what i saw and and i think to me the other side of it that was really quite moving was you know it was a it was a really neat way for everyone to find a job i mean you could earn a living you could actually do something productive for your society and you could actually at the same time make a living that's so important it it is really addressing that important issue of how do you actually create jobs where you know everyone can use their skills contribute in a positive manner to our society and no one is really left behind so if you can think of a way in which waste as a resource you know becomes something that creates new jobs you know delivers outcomes for our society and and ultimately for our planet i think would be such a fabulous outcome if we could start to rethink everything that we do in that way you know we could actually achieve these goals you know and improve lives for everyone on this planet i almost think that one of the positive things that's come out of the pandemic has been this train of thought because with lockdowns for instance shops were shut and so all of a sudden you had a mix of either people clearing out using their this unexpected time at home mm. to look at what's around them perhaps think of donating things to charity recycling but also thinking well actually i can't go out and buy this what have i got in the house that i can repurpose which yes. is sort of the basis of what you're doing Yes. of looking at things in a different way. You know, you're absolutely right. I think in a way if we look at what 2020 has meant for so many people in the world, if we have to think in a hopeful manner for the future and say that there are things that we've all learned through this experience. I think that's such an important thing because you know, we will not take things for granted. and and i think even just thinking about how imagining all the all the health related challenges that you know medical professionals have had to face in in just sort of you know accessing ppe for example and and just being able to go you know what if we have to value and respect our resources and our essential goods and services that whole ability to think you know what we need to be much more mindful and respectful of the resources that we have in our hand and if it means that um 
we've got to be really clever in the way we we value and and rethink then that's that's something important that we we will all be learning through this experience now you mentioned earlier about e-waste the sort of electronic waste that comes from our smartphones our laptops and the sort of valuable metals and uh, that that are inside and can be reused for other things rather than just being thrown away and i read that you had been using micro factories what do you define as a micro factory yes well you know a micro factory for us has always been at the core of what we do is all about taking predominantly waste resources and materials for manufacturing transforming our waste materials and resources regardless of whether they come from our electronic sources or or whether they come from simple food packaging plastics and other materials the important thing is we've taken those resources that are classified as waste and in many instances are not being processed in a way to harness its value or in many instances simply being put away into landfill and converting those upcycling those and remanufacturing those in a way that we are again converting them into useful products so is it the equivalent of the sort of kitchen recycling bin but on a slightly larger scale <laughs> um, but not as huge as a big factory <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, this is right, isn't it? I mean, as in, you know, what is that right scale at which we do it? And so that scale that we choose is designed to be fit for purpose. And so it really does depend upon what is it that you want to process. So if you are processing uh, plastics to be able to convert them into plastic filaments for 3D printing, for instance, that come out of all the waste plastics in electronics, or if you are indeed creating your waste glass and textiles into, you know, hard ceramic products. In all of these cases, that scale and the equipment and the machines and the modules that we design are fit for purpose. So micro factories very much meant to be modular. So you have modules that do quite specific operations and by indeed being very selective in the way you have your modules designed because they have to operate at certain temperatures to bring about the production of new new manufactured products those modules then can be designed and customized to deal with these different types of waste materials so that you can indeed manufacture highly engineered products and that then means that it's not only taking waste and converting those into products but doing it at the right scale and that's why i like to call it as you know economies of of purpose is is really the whole point of designing and thinking about how the science could be converted into technologies of micro factories in being basically designed for for a particular purpose so ultimately thinking about um, what we like to think as economies of purpose rather than everything being bigger and bigger for the sake of being big now your mother is a doctor your father's a civil engineer what made you follow your father's profession in terms of engineering rather than medicine <laughs> um well you know i mean my father you know as you as you've correctly pointed out you know was an engineer and, and from my point of view you know i just saw what both of them did because fundamentally it was relating of course to science at the core of it and that was important and 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 i think to me 
again, having that ability for, for any person and particularly as a young person, when you're looking at things that are happening in the world around you to, to just be inspired by what's happening so you can make your own choices. And I think to me, the fact that uh, I was far more attracted to breaking things, repairing things meant that I think engineering was more my thing. <laughs> I, I wasn't all that keen on looking at how biologically, how my mother kind of fixed her patients up, so to speak. Uh, if, if, if a little kid had a broken bone, that didn't quite excite me as much as the physical things that I could break and, and put them back together again, which I found was really exciting because I could have multiple goals if I got it wrong many, many times. So I quite enjoyed the challenge of um, the unknown in trying to get things back together again. But I have to say I also enjoyed the challenge of breaking things. As you mentioned, brought up in, in, in Mumbai, you studied engineering at the Indian Institute of Technology. You did a master's in Canada, a PhD in Michigan in, in, in America, and, yeah. and now yeah. you're living uh, in Australia where you started this Centre for Sustainable Materials Research and Technology with the wonderful acronym SMART. <laughs> Does this global travel living in different places, does this inform how you look at engineering and thinking of, of things on a potentially global scale as well? That's a very good question. And I'd say absolutely yes, because I think in a way you realize that, you know, really as people, no matter where we live on this planet, we actually have a lot in common. There are lots of things that we all care for. As much as, yes, we've got different challenges and, and, and we've got different environments in which we live, but I think there are certain things that we all you know, care about. And I think one of the things that we are talking about today in terms of how we you know, think about you know, utilization of our materials and resources and making that available in a fair and equitable manner to everyone, no matter where we live, we all care about that. We all care about providing support and services to, to everyone. Uh, and, and no matter what we do, I think it's been very important for me to be able to have that privilege and that experience of studying and living in different parts of the world, which means that, you know, I can, when I talk about the science and the work that I do, for example, now with our micro factories, you know, have that ability to interact with so many people across the world and be able to relate to what it means. You know, so when somebody wants to have a chat, someone who's in Brazil, and in fact, that happened only about a week ago, who reached out and said, you know, I'm really interested in your work on micro factories for, for e-waste. And just to be able to get to the core of it, where I felt, you know, the fact that here's somebody from all the way across the world has reached out, interested in e-waste, but the core values were very much about that people who are going about collecting e-waste do not have further opportunities for really processing e-waste and for, for manufacturing something out of it because those traditional large factories are really, really out of reach for a lot of you know, communities across the world. But the fact that we might be talking about solutions like micro factories that then could well be applicable whether we're talking about you know places in Australia or in Brazil or in India or anywhere in the world where you want to be able to create solutions that make it possible at a local level 
to to bring about that transformation is so important. So yes, it's a global society that we live in, and we understand the fact that our goods might be produced in different parts of the world, and and of course we consume resources in that way. But that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, in terms of looking at recycling solutions, that we can't just think about how we might be able to localize our activities in a meaningful way that is fit for for that particular community. So I think to me, it's been a very important time in, in my life where the ability to have that opportunity to, to come to Australia, going through all of these different parts of the world, but really work here at UNSW in Sydney, and to really have the privilege and the opportunity to set up our own micro factories at UNSW as a demonstration facility to show that, you know what, we can do this. If we can do this in, in a university setting, then we can actually do this anywhere in the world. Where will you set your targets next in, in terms of waste? One of the important things that uh, we're starting to work um, on is really addressing the all-important issue of um, you know waste batteries. Batteries, of course, again, is such an important part of, of our life, no matter where we live, in all kinds of machines and equipment that that rely on on the use of of batteries. So that's an important thing for us to be looking at and considering because of the fact that the materials that go into making our batteries, again, are limited and and therefore we can't afford to see that as simply a throwaway item. Whether we're talking about rechargeable batteries or whether we're talking about disposable single-life batteries, the materials that go into making these um, you know, batteries are going to be very important for us to preserve. We've obviously started to do this work in Australia, but again, it's something that is uh, relevant for people across the world. But we have to address the challenge here in Australia because you know, we really want to make sure that um, we, can, we can start to take local action. So you know, we can really accelerate our ability to bring this change and we indeed have uh, been awarded a, a research you know, center that allows us to focus in on micro-recycling of, um, of batteries that's going to enable us to really move forward in developing the science around how we transform some of these materials into you know, more useful materials that, that are fit for application again and again. And what would be, do you think, you know, the most important lesson or the most important bit of advice you could give to a budding engineer? The most important thing you have to think about as as someone who's interested in engineering. And, and you know, I always say that, you know, it's it's a privilege when you can bring together your your head, which is the analytical side, but you can bring together your human centered you know, skills, your heart into what you do. And that's what engineers can do, that we can bring together our our passion and our analytical skills and bringing together that ability of both your heart and your mind together to deliver impact is something that, you know, we we do as engineers. And I think if uh, a batting engineer is thinking about all kinds of things that they'd like to achieve, I'd say that um, absolutely find a pathway. There are many, many pathways and you can actually create massive impact on the lives of people. So it is an absolute privilege and an opportunity 
and there are absolutely no limits and no boundaries to what you can do. Veena Sahajwala, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the Create the Future podcast. Thank you so much for having me.